Welcome to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small, your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Brought to you by LakeLink, your online fishing resource at lake-link.com. Outdoors Radio is also brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. Find out about their upcoming DU Expo at duckexpo.com. By the Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association, castlerock-petenwell.com. And by Woodside Ranch Resort and Conference Center, woodsideranch.com. I'm Dan Small. Today we'll get a Lake Michigan fishing report from Dumper Dan Welsh. DNR fisheries biologist Jordan Weeks reports on Asian carp in the Mississippi River. And Jeff Nania returns to talk about Aldo Leopold's double-barrel shotgun. All that and more coming up on Outdoors Radio, so stay right there. It's time now for Madison Outdoors, and you hear this feature every week at this time on Fox Sports 1070 AM and on our podcast on LakeLink, iHeartRadio, OutdoorNews.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And joining us now from Madison is John Motoviloff. John is the Wisconsin Outreach and R3 coordinator for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Their website is pheasantsforever.org. Well, John, thanks for joining us, and welcome back to the Outdoors Radio Network. Anytime, Dan. It's a pleasure to be with you here and talk some of the most exciting hunting there is, turkey hunting. Absolutely. Well, listeners may recall that you had a similar R3 position with the National Wild Turkey Federation. And now that you're with Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, what are your responsibilities there? It's a pretty parallel position. They are both partner positions with the Wisconsin DNR. DNR supports both of these positions financially. Pretty similar duties. You know, I'm still running a lot of adult-focused learn-to-hunt events and some learn-to-fish events, and I've got some communication duties as well. So it's, it's pretty similar, just kind of going after a different gallinaceous or chicken-like bird, but the responsibilities are pretty similar. But the commute back to the home office here in the cities is four hours versus a very, very, very long and circuitous plane ride down to uh, Edgefield, which you always took the better part of a day. Really enjoying it so far. Well, very good. And part of your responsibility, of course, is hosting Learn to Hunt events. And you had a Learn to Turkey Hunt event. In fact, it was just last weekend. Tell us about it. Oh, my gosh. It was really, really lively. First of all, when I rolled these events out, the demand among novice adult hunters, I don't even quite know how to express how strong that demand is. So I opened it up probably the middle part of March. It was open for all of 24 hours, and we had it filled, the 12 spots filled with a waiting list. It catches like wildfire, and, you know, it's the oldest kind of advertising. People tell their buddies, and their buddies join in, and their spouses join in, and their friends want to join in. So we had a group of about 12, and I think we had uh, maybe seven women and five men, which is not atypical. It's, it's often about 50-50, and it kind of, but this was seven to five. And interestingly, there were a lot of just complete first-timers, but then there were people who had actually done some hunting before, but hadn't turkey hunted. So how many birds were taken, and how many people saw birds and didn't get one? Huh? Yeah. Tell us how that went. Well, I think everybody saw birds. Wow, that's good. Uh, there were four turkeys harvested. From what I understand, there was a fifth case where one of the hunters had her safety off. They were just coming in at 50, and they were just, you know, about to come in at 40, 45, and then they veered off. So yeah. that could yeah. have been a number five. And 
and my mentee, Ashley Peters, called in a hen, which wasn't legal, of course, but when on our second sit, we were just covered up in turkeys, and they were all around us, and I really thought it was going to happen, and it was just when that front came through Saturday evening, they just got all sorts of active, and Saturday morning, when you thought they would have been active, perfect windless day, 55 degrees, they were just not very talkative, they gobbled a little bit, and they just shut up, and then Saturday evening, from, say, like, 6 to... 745, they went nuts and in fact had another hunter mentor pair on the adjoining property and the uh, mentee there shot a 10 inch beard, 25 pounds, just a giant tom and they were they were just moving like gangbusters on Saturday night, which you know, normally I don't think of them as moving so much in the evening, but there was some, they, something got into them Saturday evening and they were and they were moving and really exciting. It was probably the coming front. The weather changed abruptly and dramatically. <laughs> I don't know how much snow you got down there Sunday, but gosh, when it was all done here, we had between 10 and 12 inches of snow. It was melting almost as fast. Oh, yeah. I, I never thought I'd shovel 10 inches of snow off of my boat this time of year, but I did. So they were active in the evening. Three birds were taken, I think, Saturday evening, and there was one bird taken uh, Sunday afternoon, actually in the snow. Uh-huh. <laughs> you, you can see that on, on the Facebook post. But yeah, uh, most yeah. of them were taken Saturday evening. And, and again, I thought Saturday morning would have been classical turkey hunting, but they just they didn't want to, Where we were in the greater Gaze Mills area, they didn't, they didn't really want to talk. Yeah, now this was in Crawford County. So we had a couple of properties that were interestingly enrolled in the DMAP um, program, which is Deer Management Assistance. Sure. And those folks are obviously interested in habitat and have done a lot of habitat improvements. And there are two landowners who have been very good cooperators the last two years, and they're just very eager to have people share the experience and just all the, you know, just the, the great Wisconsin tradition of hospitality, of welcoming people onto their land. And, you know, they, they have got land for deer hunting, but they're very open to, to you know, sharing it selectively with, with turkey hunters, which is just a wonderful thing for our program. So those were the two private properties. And then, yeah, you know, some turkey hunting access program and then a couple of wildlife areas were the other ones. But it was, no, it was very lively Saturday evening. And then, you know, came back to a really good game dinner. I think John Claire had some turkey breast and then we had some venison chili, pickled bluegill and wild game pate. And everyone was sitting around the table and telling stories and, you know, having beverages. And we, even, I think there may be a new official turkey camp drink out there, which oh, I can no. tell you about if you <laughs> want to hear it. Yeah, what is it? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, my wife and I just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary and went down to New Orleans. We're in this old hotel, like all the hotels are old down there, and scrolling down the menu, and she saw this thing called the Count Ropignac. Like, we got to try those. <laughs> it looked, and it's, it, it, it's basically three ounces of, of bourbon over ice, like raspberry concentrate, soda water, and then some, and then a lemon slice. And I would tell you, it is like, the perfect bridge between, you know, the cold winter season when you might want like an old fashioned and then, you know, the summer season where maybe you're drinking a mojito or a gin and tonic. And it was the perfect turkey camp beverage. Everyone just absolutely loved the stuff. So we were, we were just, it was, it really added to that atmosphere and all the good appetizers and, and, you know, of course we're ribbing each other and that was just a, just a whole lot of fun. And we were, the, I think the facility where we stayed was called Driftless Century Farm, which is right across from Tainter Creek on, on County B up there and just our, Wonderful, wonderful facility. Uh, slept about 18 people. Just couldn't have been a better turkey camp. Nice. How 
did the students react to the experience? What did they think of it? It's like being at deer camp. Who doesn't oh, yeah. want to be at oh, yeah. deer camp, you know? And so what was so nice was sharing this, having the people like myself and John Clare and Brock Rosencrantz and a couple of other BHA guys, you know, sort of set the table for these folks who either had experienced camp for another species or hadn't experienced it at all. And it was just so nice to, to welcome them in. And, you know, of course, the social part of hunting is, I mean, I don't know what percentage it is, but it's a big percentage. It you know? is. So having yes. them feel welcomed and everybody sharing food. And then, of course, the reaction to first birds is, is you know, everyone was, was just pretty awed. And I was thinking in particular, we had a, another mentor, mentee pair that was near me, Rachel Franzak, who works with Turkey Federation. She was, she was the mentor. And then Allie McCulloch, who's a limnologist at the UW, was, was the hunter. And Allie was just, she had never harvested an animal before. She was just blown away by doing that. And then she was just like looking at the turkey and just, just was just dumbstruck by the turkey. So it was a, it was a pretty <laughs> great moment to, to share with them. Nice. For people who want to participate, want to take advantage of this in the future, how do they do it? Probably the easiest thing is to go onto the DNR website and then just key in Learn to Hunt, and then they'll take you to a, a page there that explains everything that they need to do, you know, all the forms that they need, all the procedures that they need to do. And then, of course, this can be any species. It could You could do it for squirrel, you could do it for deer, you could do it for waterfowl, turkey, pheasant. If a person has done it before, it's a great thing to repeat. If they haven't done it and can get new people in, whether that person is 9 or 90, honestly sharing this stuff, the older I get, the more I enjoy sharing it with folks. And uh, I'm, I'm lucky to have a job where I get to do that every day. Well, John, if someone wants to volunteer as a mentor, how does that happen? You know, Dan, I think probably the easiest way is to just have them get in touch with me, and then I can kind of walk them through all the steps. They can give me a call at 608 Six four zero six nine five six, or they can try me at J Motoviloff M O T O V I L O F F at pheasantsforever dot o r g, and I can walk them through. All right. Well, John, thanks so much. That was John Motoviloff, Wisconsin R three coordinator for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Their website is pheasantsforever dot org. This was the Madison Report. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Castle Rock and Petenwell are two of Wisconsin's largest inland lakes. With more than 60 square miles of water, they offer four seasons of outdoor fun. Halfway between the Twin Cities and Chicago, and just minutes from Wisconsin Rapids and the Dells, you'll enjoy family-friendly resorts and campgrounds, great fishing, bike trails, county, state, and national parks, and the Nacita National Wildlife Refuge. Learn more at castlerock-petenwell.com or on Facebook at Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association. If you're ever in a motor vehicle accident, call Hupe and Abraham, named best personal injury law firm by the Wisconsin Law Journal year after year. The firm of Hupe and Abraham has collected more than a billion dollars for its client. In fact, they collect millions of dollars every month for hundreds of satisfied clients. Call the firm voted best and rated best, Hupe and Abraham, 800-800-5678, or visit Hupe.com. The firm of Hupe and Abraham has paid thousands of dollars in rewards to help solve crimes in the Milwaukee area. Michael Hupe is the president of Milwaukee Crime Stoppers, and he's offering a $25,000 reward for the next anonymous tip that solves a homicide case. So if you've got a tip on an unsolved homicide case, visit MilwaukeeCrimestoppers.com. Jeff Kelm is in Monroe, Michigan this week for a Masters Walleye Circuit Tournament on Lake Erie, and we'll get his report on that event next week. 
And this Saturday, for most listeners, that's today, April 22nd, is the 53rd annual Earth Day. There are Earth Day events throughout the country this weekend and throughout the month of April. Here in Wisconsin, check the DNR website events page for events in state parks and other properties. Last week, we told you we'd report on the spring fish and game hearings. Well, the results are in. More than 11,000 people voted. Most were Wisconsin residents, and fewer than a 1,000 were from somewhere else. You can see the results on the DNR website under the keywords Spring Hearings. Here are a few questions that I thought it'd be worth mentioning. Question 2, expand the youth deer season to four days. It was a very close vote. It was defeated by about 200 votes, 3,400 yes, 3,600 no. Question 9, opening the muskie season statewide on the first Saturday in May. The vote was 3 to 1 in favor. Question 58, increase the youth turkey hunt to four days almost two to one in favor. There were several questions on more restrictive regulations on wake boats, and those passed generally three to one, 6,000 yes, 2,000 no. There was a proposal about a grouse stamp that passed two to one, 4,800 to 2,100, and requiring blaze orange for upland bird hunting received a favorable vote of 4,700 versus 2,000 no's. It's been a couple of years since I took a group to Ballard's Black Island Resort on Lake of the Woods, but I'll be going again this year now that Canada has opened up to American visitors. The dates are September 11 through 15. It includes four nights on Black Island, three days of guided fishing. All meals are included, and the trip will be limited to 12 guests, so it could fill fast. The cost is $1,500 per person. I'll have more information next week on how you can register, so check your calendar. Send me a Facebook message or email dsoradio at gmail.com if you're interested and I'll hold a spot for you. Coming up, Jeff Nania returns to tell us why a side-by-side double barrel is a good shotgun choice. Wisconsin DNR fisheries biologist Jordan Weeks talks about invasive carp in the Mississippi River. We'll kick things off with Captain Dumper Dan Welch and our first Lake Michigan fishing report for Sheboygan. All that and more straight ahead on Outdoors Radio. Attention future hunters, hunting season for turkey, small game, and deer is right around the corner. Don't wait to think about hunter education. The time to enroll is now. The Wisconsin DNR offers several options to choose from, making it easier than ever to enroll. Just browse for upcoming youth or adult hunter education classes at gowild.wi.gov and join the ranks of today's hunter education graduates who are ensuring the safe future of our hunting heritage. Classes fill up quickly, so don't wait. Enroll today. A message from Wisconsin DNR. Flow has made world-class recreational and utility trailers for 40 years, and the industry-leading innovations keep on coming. Choose an all-aluminum UT model or Cargo Max, the only utility trailer with a molded polymer bed, integrated sides, and an engineered aluminum frame. With either one, you'll know you don't have just any old trailer. If a new trailer is on your mind, check out floeintl.com. Flow trailers, where the rubber meets the road. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the Ruffed Grouse and American Woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Ruffed Grouse Society toll-free at 888 join rgs step outside 
let us be your guide. Florence County, Wisconsin. Are you looking for that perfect Northwoods destination for outdoor recreation? Florence County has over 200,000 acres of unclouded public land with 160 plus miles of beautiful ATV UTV trails, many lakes and rivers to fish or paddle, seven wild river waterfalls to explore, horse trails with campgrounds, and friendly bars and restaurants. Go to exploreflorencecounty.com and plan your trip today. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Thanks for joining us on Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. Well, we're kicking off our annual series of Lake Michigan fishing reports from the Port of Sheboygan, presented by Dumper Dan Sport Fishing Charters, Condos, and Riverfront Store right there on South Pier Drive in Sheboygan. His website is DumperDan.com, and you can find him on Facebook as well at Dumper Dan Sport Fishing Charters, where he posts fishing reports and photos of catches by his six-boat fleet, and these conversations that he and I are going to have pretty much every other week now will also be posted on his Facebook page. So he's joining us now from Sheboygan. Dumper Dan Welch, welcome to the Outdoors Radio Network, and uh, thanks for joining us again. Oh, thank you, Dan. I appreciate it, and it's great to be back and looking forward to the 2023 uh, open water season here. Uh, we're very anxious, and been a long winter for most, and yeah, really excited to get the ball rolling here on Lake Michigan. Well, it's still winter here in southwest Wisconsin. We're recording this early in the week, and we got a dump of snow on Sunday. I spent half a Monday moving it around, but I guess it missed you, huh? It did miss uh, Sheboygan. We got a little bit of rain out of it here on the lakeshore and a little bit of snow, just a dusting, but it's cold and windy once again. And last week was just a, a breath of fresh air. I mean, the whole Midwest was unbelievably warm in the 80s and, and low 90s, and it, it really got everybody rolling here and some boats out on the water all over the place from the Winnebago system to Lake Michigan, Green Bay. And that was nice for early April, but you know now we're back in a little bit of cold and a little bit of wind, but you know, we know that'll change here as we roll into May. Absolutely. Now, when will you put your boats in the water this year? We're going in the water actually next week. We always go in about the third week of April. I mean, in the past, over the years, I, I went in like Easter weekend and early April and, and things like that. But with the weather the way it is, it's just too iffy, and I, I don't want customers to travel all the way over here not to get on the lake because of, you know, windy, cold conditions. So late April, always the third week of April, we'll put the fleet of Dumper Dan boats in. We've been working on them all winter in my heated shop, and uh, they look fantastic. They, I mean, they're spotless. They look showroom perfect right now and new upholstery we did some engine work uh, buffing waxing cleaning bottom painting so we're ready to go phone's been ringing a lot of guys have been making reservations already throughout the winter so it's it's all looking good excellent excellent well i know some folks have been fishing in this warm weather we had last week and even before so what do you hear Fishing's been pretty good along the lake shore here. In fact, I did get out. Zach and I went out. My son fished brown trout off Whistling Straits here 
10 to 15, 18 feet of water close to shore this past week during this warm snap. Water temperatures are warmer than normal, which is good to see, and the brown trout have been biting here off Sheboygan. Now I heard the coho bite south of here is starting up early already on the state line and from Illinois into Wisconsin, so that's early already for being early to mid-April. So I think everything's going to come a little early this year. The water temperature is 45, 46 degrees already off Sheboygan, so looking forward to getting a fleet of boats in and get rolling here. I think it's going to be a good season, and we need warm water. I mean, usually it's pretty cold in the spring, and, and I, it's gonna we're going to be off to a good start. We are already, and there was a lot of private boats out this last week, too, besides myself, and they were landing some nice brown trout as well. Good, good. Now, I understand the DNR put some young Chinooks in your net pens again last week, and you had to uh, deal with them in a different way than you expected to, right? Yeah, we did, and just like I mentioned, water temperatures, when we received them on a Monday, the water temp in the Sheboygan River was 49 degrees, and then we had that warm snap and a little bit of rain runoff, and the temperatures in the river went up to 60 degrees. And three days later, we had to release them. So we had to release them because the DNR tells us when the water gets to 60 degrees, we have to let them fish go, and we did. And there again, 60 degree in the river, the lakes, you know, 46 degrees, like I mentioned, give or take a few degrees. Luckily, we we could keep them enough that, you know, they kind of get accustomed to our river system. We fed them for three days and let them go. So they're out in the lake. They also put fish, uh, Chinook salmon fingerlings, up below the Kohler Dam after they gave us their net pin fish. So altogether, the number was just over 150,000 Chinook salmon just for Sheboygan alone, which is the biggest number we've had in a long, long time. So that that's a good number of fish just for the Port of Sheboygan alone. Well, that's great. Now... Those fish are younger than you would normally let them go, and how is that going to affect their surviving? Well, it's like the fish that they did let go besides the ones in the net pen, you know, upriver. So they'll survive like them fish do. It's just that the, the purpose for the net pens is to let them grow a little bit larger, release them right before dark, um, and get them more accustomed to coming back to where they were planted. And that's why you hold them for two to three weeks. We lost out on a little bit of that, but survival-wise should be the same as the other fish that were all released. And I, I think we'll be we'll be fine that way. And hopefully they all come back to our port, you know, in four years when they spawn and, and we have a good fall fishery. And you mentioned uh, before we started recording that you're not seeing many gulls or cormorants or other predators that might be eating those fish. Exactly, and I was actually, Zach and I were out, you know, brown trout fishing the day prior to releasing them fish, and I even said to him, I, I, we didn't see any seagulls anywhere, we didn't see any cormorants yet, they're not here yet. It might have been a blessing in disguise to let them fish go now, because I think the survival rate will even be better, because of no birds around yet, it's just a little too early for that. Yeah, well that's good. Now, you, you say that your phone's been ringing, uh, if people want to book with you, what's the plan? The best way, Dan, is, is talk to you. All the reservations come through me, Dumper Dan, and I, I can customize all your packages the way you want. Uh, but call me, my cell. I take all the calls at 920-377-1147. Always go to our website, check it out, DumperDan.com. And on the website homepage, you can link over to our Facebook page, which is, as you know, always active with fishing reports and news and weather and this and that. So 920-377-1147, DumperDan.com, or our Facebook page, Dumper Dan Sport Fishing Charters. All righty, and I'm sure you've got openings. 
We do, yeah. I mean, we got a long ways to go and a lot of dates to fill yet, but everything's going in the right direction. People are eager to get their vacation plans made ahead of time, and I highly recommend that because we do fill up. I mean, the month of June, July, and August, you know, we're running a lot, a lot of trips, seven days a week, every day or so, even with six boats. So get your plans, get a hold of me, let's get it done, and, and get you guys out here. All right. Well, Dan, thank you so much for that report. We will talk to you in, I think, two weeks. Unless something exciting happens and we want to do it in a week. Meanwhile, you'll have your boats in, you'll be out there fishing, and you'll be able to let us know how things are going. Yeah, you bet. We'll get you some current reports from the charter boats, and yeah, everything will be rolling in the right direction then, and we'll have the boats out. And, and like you mentioned too, Dan, I you know we're going to do every other week. Sometimes we do every week, so we'll we'll see how it goes and, and try and keep everybody informed. You know what's going on on the Big Lake, Lake Michigan, here out of the Port of Sheboygan all summer long. Alrighty. Thanks a lot, Dan. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Dumper Dan Welch with the Lake Michigan Fishing Report out of Sheboygan, the first one of the season, brought to you by his charter business, Dumper Dan Sport Fishing Charters, Condos and Riverfront Store, located on South Pier Drive in Sheboygan. Website, as he mentioned, DumperDan.com, Facebook, Dumper Dan Sport Fishing Charters, and we will post this interview on his Facebook page very soon. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Listen to more Outdoors Radio online at dansmalloutdoors.com. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. Joining us now is Jordan Weeks. He is the Mississippi River Fish Team Leader for the Wisconsin DNR. Jordan, thanks for joining us, and welcome to the Outdoors Radio Network. Thanks, Dan. Happy to be here. Most of our listeners have heard about invasive Asian carp, and they know that some of these fish have turned up in the Mississippi River. Before we get into details, what species are we talking about? of invasive carp that we're really concerned with. And if you wanted to add a fourth that's been around, um, there's a fourth. So the, the two big ones are the silver and the big head, and those are the ones most listeners may have seen that jump out of the water and potentially hit people and get spooked by boat motors. The other invasive carp would be the black carp and then the grass carp, or the four invasive carp. And I guess if you wanted to add in the common carp that's been here forever, they're the other of the five. Okay, so five species, the common uh, European carp that has been here for more than 100 years uh, is kind of well-established. These others, though, are, are considered more invasive. Where did they come from? Well, they all come from Asia, and they've been brought here at different periods of time for different reasons. The grass carp was probably here the next longest after the common carp, and, and they were brought here to eat vegetation that was undesirable in certain water bodies. The black, silver, and big head carps were all brought here in similar fashions for various reasons. I'm not exactly sure why the black carp was brought here, but the big head and silvers were brought here by aquaculture farms in the southern U.S. They were brought here to clean algae in their catfish ponds, and uh, it worked out really well until those ponds flooded and the invasive carp escaped to the Mississippi River Basin. Okay, and they've been spreading ever since that happened. Correct. 
Yeah, and that was in the 1970s that that, that, that occurred, so uh-huh. it's taken a while. Yeah, okay. Why are they a concern? For, I guess for a number of reasons. First of all, they are a filter feeder, and they eat our zooplankton, phytoplankton, uh, and algae in the water. And, and those those critters, those little, those algaes and planktons in our waters also feed some of our native fishes, right? So they're a direct competitor for our native fishes like paddlefish um, and some of the other planktivores that eat small. Um, and juven- juvenile game fish species, some of them eat zooplankton and phytoplankton as well. The other thing is they are a threat to the um, biota and biomass in, in whatever water body that they're in. So if you think of the Mississippi River, there are only so many fish that can live there. It doesn't matter what type of species there are. And just to use round numbers, let's just say there are 100 units of that fish that are able to live in the Mississippi. If uh, invasive carp take hold in this area, they may take up 50% of those units in the Mississippi River, leaving only 50% of the units or 50 units left over for our native fishes. So they basically displace our native fishes and they also compete for some of the food resources with our native fishes. Okay. Now, we've heard recent reports of especially silver carp being found in places in the river where you haven't found them before or where others haven't found them before. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's not so much that they haven't found them there before. What What's most concerning is that we haven't found them in the abundance that we're finding them recently. And, and there's two uh, real events that, that stand out in my mind. Back in 2020, March of 2020, uh, a local commercial fisherman in La Crosse captured uh, 39 silver and hybrid silver bighead carp along with 10 grass carp in their commercial fishing activities. And then on March 20th, the Minnesota DNR, with their contracted commercial fishermen, captured 30 more uh, up in Pool 6, which is near Winona. Okay, now now that's uh, March 20th of this year, so that recent capture was this year. Yes, sir. Yeah, okay. Um, And they were mostly silvers. I didn't know they could hybridize with big heads, but that's not a good thing. (laughs) Yeah, it is uh, actually fairly common. All right. Well, I have seen them in person on the Illinois River and down in Arkansas where people bowfish for them, and I've done it, where you motor up along and you shoot them as they jump in the air. It's exciting, but, boy, when you see those tremendous numbers and you get hit by one, it's not so much fun. Um, are, are you concerned, or is the DNR or is the Fish and Wildlife Service concerned about these recent catches of, of more fish? Yeah, I think I think it is concerning. Um, obviously, we would uh, rather not have these beasts in our waters, uh, in, especially in in the Mississippi River at all. Um, it, it is concerning that we are starting to see these larger numbers. Um, what will be more concerning is if we do document some sort of natural reproduction of these fish in the Mississippi River, um, which we have not yet done. Uh, that seems to be the indicator. Uh, where you go from just a few observations or a relatively small number of individuals to large number of individuals really fast. Is there anything that can be done about it? Up till now, there's a lot of research that's been performed on, on various techniques, uh, barriers to stop their upstream movement. Uh, there have been some uh, piscicides. There have been research on uh, reproductive inhibitors, 
but none of them have really given us a silver bullet yet to be able to stop these things. The best one is probably barriers, and we continue to work with uh, various folks on, on ideas on how to improve barriers to stop the movement of these fish. But a barrier on a body of water that is as big as the Mississippi, as wide as the river, and where the level goes up, I mean, right now we're in flood stage, you're close to it. Um, does that even seem practical? Well, they, they do. They have shown promise in a number of different instances. However, you are correct. When you get flood stage <clears throat> waters, the gates on all the locks and dams on the Mississippi are wide open right now. And we do tend to see more upstream movement of these evasive carps when we do have the locks and dams open. That's why we believe that first instance, that first large capture I mentioned in 2020, we believe that's why that happened because 2019, if you remember, Dan, the river was basically at flood stage all year mm-hmm. and the uh, locks and dams were wide open all year and, and we found that a, a large number of those fish swam upstream from more uh, heavily populated waters down in, in Iowa and Illinois. Now, if they're not reproducing, what happens? The adults live a few years and then they die and then they're gone? It's, it's just crazy down there. Is there anything that the average angler or boater can do? Well, I think the biggest thing for the public to understand is that we, we want to know where these observations are. So if you observe these fish flying out of the water, you can determine that they're not one of our native fishes. It's very valuable to let someone in the Wisconsin or Minnesota Department of Natural Resources know about it. We can be found pretty easily with a Google search. Mm-hmm. Um, my name for sure will come up, and you'll get my phone number or email, and you can shoot me an email saying, hey, you know, I was near the Dresback Dam, and I saw this, and could you go check it out? And, and those things are the most helpful that the general public can do right now. Just, just tell us about any observations that they may have. Okay. And are you continuing monitoring them through the commercial netters that you mentioned earlier? The Minnesota Contract Commercial Fishermen, they're out on a very frequent basis, and they uh, are working in the Mississippi between Minnesota and Wisconsin, anywhere from pool, I want to say four, all the way down to nine. And they're out there looking for these schools of invasive carp. Along with that, the Minnesota DNR, Wisconsin DNR, USGS, which is the Geological Survey, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, the National Park Service, and some of our partners along the river have been doing what's called a modified unified method. If you can think of it as a glorified deer drive in a river. Okay. So what that is is we basically take large block nets and try to clear an area using sound and electricity. So we'll try to herd these fish out of an area, then block it off with a block net and keep blocking off smaller, smaller areas until we can get them in a, in a location where we can run a seine around and pull that thing in. And we've done four of those thus far, and we're getting ready to do our fifth. It was supposed to be next week. With this high water, we can't do it, so it'll be sometime in May where we try to do our fifth modified unified method, which we've had some amount of success. Not every time have we been successful, but several times we've caught a number of fish doing these modified unified methods. 
Well, maybe we'll check in with you again after you do that and see if you found anything that's worth reporting. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. All right. Is there anything else our listeners should know? I think that we covered most of it, Dan. I mean, it's important to let us know when they observe these things. It's important not to get too excited about them at this point because we don't believe that they're reproducing in Wisconsin waters at this point. And we'll have to continue to monitor that and hopefully come up with a way to control these fish. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, and we will keep in touch and perhaps have you on again after your attempt to corral some more in May. Sounds good, man. Thank you. You bet. Jordan Weeks is the Mississippi River Fish Team Leader for the Wisconsin DNR. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Enjoy the ultimate shooting experience at the Range of Richfield, your one-stop shop for all shooters. Just north of the Richfield Cabela's store on Helson Drive, the Range of Richfield offers 12 state-of-the-art 25-yard indoor shooting lanes for all pistol and common rifle loads. Classes in home defense, basic handgun and concealed carry, a retail shop, trophy mount display, and more in a welcoming, family-friendly setting. Open daily except Monday to the public and members. Your ultimate shooting experience, therangewi.com. Here's a message from our friends at Remy Battery in Milwaukee, Escanaba, and Houghton. We at Remy Battery Company want to thank all of our customers and friends we have made over the past 90-plus years and your continued support of our local, family-owned company. Stop in and see the expertise of over nine decades of battery knowledge and customer service. Let us take care of the batteries for all of your needs, from power tools to sump pumps and ATVs to hunting decoys, even down to the smallest hearing aids. Big and small, we have them all. Stop in for a free battery and electrical check before you hit the road, trails, or waters. Don't forget to ask your sales representatives about volume pricing. Call Remy at 414-384-0340 or visit online at remybattery.com for all your battery and battery accessory needs. For the nonprofit Ruffed Grouse Society, the well-being of the Ruffed Grouse and American Woodcock is a special priority. But the Society's conservation work benefits more than just these two game birds. The organization's programs help a long list of other young forest wildlife, including songbirds that must have thick, brushy habitat to survive. For more information about forest wildlife habitat management, contact the Rough Grouse Society toll-free at 888-JOIN-RGS. Attention future hunters, hunting season for turkey, small game, and deer is right around the corner. Don't wait to think about hunter education. The time to enroll is now. The Wisconsin DNR offers several options to choose from, making it easier than ever to enroll. Just browse for upcoming youth or adult hunter education classes at gowild.wi.gov and join the ranks of today's hunter education graduates who are ensuring the safe future of our hunting heritage. Classes fill up quickly, so don't wait. Enroll today. A message from Wisconsin DNR. Introducing the all-new OutdoorNews.com. The most trusted source for all things out of doors in the Great Lakes region just got better. At OutdoorNews.com, you'll now have full access to every outdoor news story, breaking news and updates, our comprehensive fishing and hunting reports, pro tips, and much more for our seven-state region and beyond. Top hunters and anglers look to Outdoor News to keep them up to date and ahead of the crowd. Now it's easier than ever with the all-new OutdoorNews.com. If your rifle, shotgun, handgun, or muzzleloader needs work this season, call Roger Williams at Northern Magnetic, LLC. 
A licensed professional gunsmith for over 35 years, Roger can repair, customize, rebarrel, install sights and scope mounts, and more on all firearms, makes, and models. When you need a professional gunsmith, call Roger at 262-339-1798 or visit FixGuns.com. That's 262-339-1798 or FixGuns.com. Castle Rock and Petenwell are two of Wisconsin's largest inland lakes. With more than 60 square miles of water, they offer four seasons of outdoor fun. Halfway between the Twin Cities and Chicago, and just minutes from Wisconsin Rapids and the Dells, you'll enjoy family-friendly resorts and campgrounds, great fishing, bike trails, county, state, and national parks, and the Nesita National Wildlife Refuge. Learn more at castlerock-petenwell.com or on Facebook at Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association. Welcome back to your source for the latest hunting and fishing information. Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. I'm talking with conservationist and mystery novelist Jeff Nania, and Jeff just mentioned to me that he likes double-barrel shotguns. And, Jeff, I know you do because you did a story on Aldo Leopold's shotgun, which is a remarkable gun in itself, besides the story of the surrounding Leopold and how he got it. I'm a fan of double-barrel shotguns. I enjoy these classic American-made, although I've got some non-American-made guns. They're wonderful pieces of American craftsmanship. And so I hunt everything I hunt with double-barrel shotguns. Even turkeys? Uh, Well, I have a 1911. I bought it on the Wisconsin State Surplus site Uh several years ago. It was in pieces, and it was a long-barreled. 30-inch barrel, 1911 L.C. Smith shotgun. I went down to the surplus sales and looked it over, and although it was in several baskets, it looked like all the pieces were there. Okay. So I bought it, and I brought it home and took it to my shop and began the process of making it functional again. It's not only functional, but it shoots great. Okay. I use it for turkey hunting. The story of the cartridges I use turkey hunting is a great story. What do you use? Well, my dad died very young, but was a champion skeet shooter. Okay. And each winter, he would sit his boys down and we would box shells that he would load on a single stage press. At the time, lead shot was legal for hunting waterfowl, and my dad had a load that he believed strongly in. It was a high brass number five Lubeloy load with Alcan number seven powder. Okay. That he would load each one and we would dip them in wax. My dad passed away. My mother moved out of her house and there in the attic was a military ammunition can. And I opened it up and there was a whole can full of those Lubeloy number five rounds. Okay. My guess is. They were loaded in the early 60s. So I took them home. I've got a small range on my farm, and I took them home, and I shot them in a regular shotgun, and by God, they shot great. And I thought, well, I can try them in this L.C. Smith, and they're certainly within that pressure range, and they shoot perfectly. So I've used them for hunting turkeys, and it's great fun. I've also hunted pheasants with those loads sometimes. So that 1911 is one of... Several LC Smith shotguns. You know, Dan, I, I got to tell you, uh, your listeners, you know, have their own religious affiliations, I'm sure. And 
But here's the reason you have to shoot a double-barrel shotgun. Okay. If God wanted you to shoot a single-barrel shotgun... He'd have given you one eye, right? Right in the middle of your forehead. <laughs> he didn't. If he wanted you to shoot an over-under, you'd have two eyes, one on top of the other. He wanted you to shoot double-barrels, yeah. two eyes side-by-side. I don't need to argue anymore. <laughs> and I've spent a lot of time converting people to double barrels. Well, a mutual friend of ours, Jim Fendry, yeah. shot lots of side-by-sides. I actually shot a round of sporting clays with him one time with Mike Cupy, the attorney. We were at the Highlands, and he was shooting a side-by-side 16-gauge. And about two-thirds of the way through the round... I realized he had not dropped a bird. I don't know if anyone said anything, but that's something you don't do when somebody's running a perfect score in skeet or trap or, or sporting clays. We might have remarked, I, I don't know. But anyway, he missed two birds at the next station, and he ended up with a 48. With a 16-gauge side-by-side. And, and, you know, if I can squeak out a 40, I'm doing well on most sporting clays courses. And, and I did a pheasant hunt with him years ago with a couple of black yeah. powder side-by-sides. Uh, have you ever hunted with Jim or shot his guns? I haven't shot his guns. I've talked to him before. We've discussed this. On the black powder shotgun, I believe that he and Jerry Walkenden, who was a master gunsmith from Wanakee, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. assembled those guns, and there were two guns from a set. It's so much fun to do this, and there's so much history involved. The Leopold shotgun, I mean, it was always legendary, Yeah. but it is really legendary now. In doing the research, one of all the Leopold's great-great-grandnephews called the Leopold Foundation said, I think I found all the Leopold's missing shotgun in my closet. Mm. And that's exactly what happened. And the foundation asked me to work on it, to identify the gun and get it back here, and I did, and it's beautiful. Beautiful fox engraved shotgun. It was engraved by William Goh, one of the most famous engravers in history. Uh-huh. But the journey was this. I spent days and days and days reading his hunting journals at the center. Uh-huh. Leopold was a lot like us. He was a hand loader. Was with a friend of his. They went to the Wisconsin River, set up patterning boards, and patterned their shotguns with different kinds of shot and different charges. He ordered the gun with out of safety. Right, I remember that. And he complained when he got a new pair of glasses and the new shotgun, and when shooting it was not doing as well as he wanted. But it was a great story that could have been any of us. You know, we put Leopold on this pedestal. Maybe he should be there, but... The part that I like about him is that he's us. Some of our listeners certainly know that Leopold was an avid hunter, and there are touches of his hunting experience throughout a Sand County Almanac and his other published writings. I have not been exposed to his journals as you have. I'd be interested in reading them sometime. They are fascinating. I'll bet they are. He talks about trials and tribulations with his dog. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if it was the birds he said that made the dog want to eat the birds today. <laughs> I think it was Bill Tarrant, the outdoor uh, writer. I remember one story. He said, this German short hair was the best bird dog I ever had. We shot a lot of grouse, but we didn't take many home because he always ate the first two. 
And I told Dave Duffy that story, and he said, yeah, I've heard that. It's probably true. And that short hair might have been related to Gus, Leopold's dog. And you know who did have a direct descendant of Gus? Ken Blomberg. You know Ken, I imagine. Oh, yeah. No kidding. I saw Ken at the shack, the Leopold shack, one time. There's some event there, and we were both there, and I hadn't seen him in years, and he's got a dog on a leash, and he's got this very dark German short hair. And I said, that dog looks a lot like Gus. And Gus, for listeners who are wondering, what the heck are we talking about, was one of Leopold's dogs. And there's a whole history of where that dog came from that we don't have time to get into. But he said, yeah, this dog is a direct descendant of Gus. And I said, you got to be kidding. And he said, no, that he had done the research, and it was it was Art Hawkins who provided the background, but he actually, and he doesn't have short hairs now, but he had a short hair line that was directly out of Leopold's dogs. No kidding. Yeah. Well, his dogs were really <laughs> strong, physically strong animals. Yeah. That was typical of a lot of the hunting German short hairs now are very athletic and kind of slim, and they hunt real well, but yeah, that's interesting. You know, my dad had a Lefevre side-by-side, and I inherited that gun, and he hunted pheasants and rabbits and grouse with it for many years. Didn't take care of it the way a good shepherd of shotguns should. And I had a couple of gunsmiths uh, do some work on it, and my friend Roger Williams is the one who did the, the final job on it, and it is a beautiful gun. It shoots well. It's a 20-gauge, and he opened the chokes, because I'm sure it was mod and full, and he opened them to improve cylinder and modified, and that's my grouse gun, my woodcock gun, my rabbit gun in the winter. I, uh, you know, I hunt rabbits occasionally with that gun. I love it. Well, those Lefebvre shotguns were tough. Yeah. They were tough guns. They were a box lock. They were meant to be a tough working man's gun, and they're beautiful. I have a Lefebvre 12-gauge that's in great shape. I really like those guns. The L.C. Smiths and the Parkers differed, you know. Um, the Parker would be more along the Lefebvre line, and the L.C. Smith is American side lock. Lefevers are good guns. You know what I found in the stock of my Lefebvre? I was working on the stock, had a crack in it when I got it, and I took the buck plate off, and here was a dog license that had been put into the stock. Oh, my. The stock bull comes, and it was a tribute to Lucky. Mm. So I'm sure the guy, when his dog passed, put the license in the butt stock. Interesting. Interesting story. One more black powder double gun story. Toby Bridges, uh, who lived in Missouri and hunted in Missouri and Iowa, came to Wisconsin to do a turkey hunt. And he brought a Petter Soli side-by-side that Cabela's sold. And he told me, uh, I loaded it, and because it's a muzzle loader, you can take the caps off and you can travel with the gun charged, or, or loaded but not charged. And he said, I shot a turkey in Missouri, and... I had time in the day, so I drove across the state line, and I shot one in Iowa (laughs) without reloading. So he shot one with the left barrel, and then he shot another one with the right barrel. I said, well, that's a great story. It was fun. He brought that gun to Wisconsin, and I did a hunt with him, and I actually shot a turkey in the northern Kettle Moraine with that gun for outdoor Wisconsin, uh, again, many years ago. And I wish I could have kept it, but I had to send it on to the next guy. But that that was a lot of fun. Well, gosh, Jeff, we could talk all day about double 
about double guns, so we'll have you back on sometime, maybe as hunting season approaches, and I would love to talk about double guns again. So, all right, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to talk to you. Have a wonderful spring turkey season, and I look forward to talking to you again. Absolutely. Jeff Nania, folks, conservationist, author of four great books in the Northern Lakes Mystery Series. His website is feetwetwriting.com. We'll have him on again. I'm Dan Small. You are listening to Outdoors Radio. Introducing the all-new OutdoorNews.com, the most trusted source for all things out of doors in the Great Lakes region just got better. At OutdoorNews.com, you'll now have full access to every outdoor news story, breaking news and updates, our comprehensive fishing and hunting reports, pro tips, and much more for our seven-state region and beyond. Top hunters and anglers look to Outdoor News to keep them up to date and ahead of the crowd. Now it's easier than ever with the all-new OutdoorNews.com. Step outside, let us be your guide. Florence County, Wisconsin. Are you looking for that perfect Northwoods destination for outdoor recreation? Florence County has over 200,000 acres of uncrowded public land with 160 plus miles of beautiful ATV UTV trails, many lakes and rivers to fish or paddle, seven wild river waterfalls to explore, horse trails with campgrounds, and friendly bars and restaurants. Go to exploreflorencecounty.com and plan your trip today. Flow has made world-class recreational and utility trailers for 40 years, and the industry-leading innovations keep on coming. Choose an all-aluminum UT model or Cargo Max, the only utility trailer with a molded polymer bed, integrated sides, and an engineered aluminum frame. With either one, you'll know you don't have just any old trailer. If a new trailer is on your mind, check out floeintl.com. Flow trailers, where the rubber meets the road. If your rifle, shotgun, handgun, or muzzleloader needs work this season, call Roger Williams at Northern Magnetic, LLC. A licensed professional gunsmith for over 35 years, Roger can repair, customize, rebarrel, install sights and scope mounts, and more on all firearms, makes, and models. When you need a professional gunsmith, call Roger at 262-339-1798 or visit FixGuns.com. That's 262-339-1798 or FixGuns.com. The Midwest's largest fishing website, lake-link.com, is your online fishing resource. 90% of Lake Link's features are yours to use free of charge. And members get access to Lake Link's online lake map library, lets you get GPS coordinates of any spot on the lake, and export waypoints to your onboard electronics. Members also get free outdoor classified ads, discounts on online store merchandise, and a whole lot more. You can also listen to Outdoors Radio 24-7 on Lake Link. Listen to this week's show... Catch any of our past shows, subscribe to our podcast, or even sign up for our weekly e-newsletter so you'll know in advance what's coming up right here. Just type in the keyword radio. See what you've been missing. Log on to lake-link.com today. That's lake-link.com. Castle Rock and Petenwell are two of Wisconsin's largest inland lakes. With more than 60 square miles of water, they offer four seasons of outdoor fun. Halfway between the Twin Cities and Chicago, and just minutes from Wisconsin Rapids and the Dells, you'll enjoy family-friendly resorts and campgrounds, great fishing, bike trails, county, state, and national parks, and the Nesita National Wildlife Refuge. Learn more at castlerock-petenwell.com or on Facebook at Castle Rock Petenwell Lakes Association. Welcome back to Outdoors Radio with Dan Small. 
Welcome back to Outdoors Radio. I'm Dan Small. We're brought to you by Cedar Lake Sales on Highway 33 West in West Bend and on the web at cedarlakesales.com. The folks at Cedar Lake Sales remind us that Coast Guard personnel will be on hand May 13th for boat safety checks. And they're offering up to $2,500 instant cash back on new Crestliner Fishhawk, Superhawk, and Visions models. Check the Cedar Lake Sales website or Facebook page for details. We're also brought to you by Ducks Unlimited. Find out about their upcoming DU Expo at DuckExpo.com. If our TV show Outdoor Wisconsin is not airing where you live, you can watch past episodes at MilwaukeePBS.org. And last year's Deer Hunt Wisconsin show and a couple previous shows are archived on the Deer Hunt Wisconsin TV YouTube channel. If you missed any dates, websites, or phone numbers, you can always listen online at lake-link.com slash radio. Our show is now available as a podcast on the new Outdoor News website as well, outdoornews.com slash podcast. You can find Jeff on social media at Hardwater Jeff and find me at Dan Small Outdoors. Well, if you're interested in deer hunting and deer management, Consider attending the County Deer Advisory Council meeting in your county. They'll be held across Wisconsin from April 24th through May 4th. Details on the DNR website, keywords, County Deer Advisory Council, or CDAC. As I mentioned earlier, I'll be hosting a trip to Lake of the Woods in September, so tune in next week for more details on how to register. Send me a Facebook message now or email dsoradio at gmail.com if you're interested. Our theme music is by Warren Nelson. Warren and friends are presenting a series of concerts this spring, so check their website, warrennelson.com, for details. I'm Dan Small. Jeff Kelm will be back next week. Get outside this weekend and be sure to join us again next week for Outdoors Radio. Just that needle bell now. Let's get to the perfect speed. Oh, how I love leaving the shore behind. When the cool night swallows the moose's nose and the heron is fishing on one cold leg when the loon cries lover in the blue north wind I'll be trolling home to you when my wrist gets a little chilly on the gunnel when my lazy Ike is just too lazy to lure when the worms go dry in the coffee can honey 